What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Robots Radio. Games. Lore. Stories. Community. Just press play. Welcome to the Fallout Lorecast. The podcast that explores the boundaries of our knowledge about the world of Fallout. How do you feel about the fact that the Brotherhood of Steel takes kind of a side role in Fallout New Vegas? They are not one of the main factions. They are not one of the main focuses. They are a group that has been pushed to the background. They are in hiding. And there's a very good reason for this. It has to do with something we talked about last week. The war between the NCR and the Brotherhood of Steel. But what was the reason for the war? Why did the war even happen? And how did a group that was so powerful, one of the groups in the Wasteland that still had the technology from, well, the height of everything, the U.S. before the Great War, how were they able to be pushed into the background by an emerging governmental system? A group of different cities, I guess you could even call them city-states. The nature of the world 200 years, 150 years, 100 years after the Great War is a society that much more resembles the city-states of, say, ancient Greece than it does the current-day world. Different communities, different peoples, places that are naturally separated with not only distance, but ideology. The NCR, by this point in time, by the mid-2200s, has been able to accomplish something amazing. The idea that a group that spawned from a very small settlement was able to expand across the West, across California, Nevada, some other locations, and unify the people enough into one ideology that they were able to stand up against the Brotherhood of Steel when the Brotherhood wanted to come for their technology. And there's a lot to talk about here. There are some big questions. We've talked about the Brotherhood of Steel before. I've discussed it with our patrons. And this idea that they believe that they are the only ones who can handle the technology correctly, and how that is both a positive and a negative to the future of the wasteland. This is one of the things that happens in not only in the, the Fallout games, but also in reality, where you have these different factions who have good, quote unquote, good intentions for the way to handle 
important information, important details, governing, all of these things that we as humanity need in a modern era. Heck, even in an ancient era. And yet the groups have stark differences in their beliefs. And the problem always comes down, and you can see this in today's society as well, when their beliefs butt up against the beliefs of others, and one group thinks that they should be defining what the other group can and cannot do. And this happens in both directions. In the case of the Brotherhood of Steel, you have a group that believes that technology is something that should only be in the hands of the people who are trained to use it. And on the surface, that looks good. Let's keep the farmers out there from blowing themselves up with explosives that they don't understand how to handle when they're trying to keep raiders off their farm. Because the explosives will definitely kill you. Give them some other technology, some other useful ways of handling the raiders or let them fend for themselves and eventually they'll figure it out. But that means that if you are the NCR, if you are the new California Republic and those farmers are under your banner, you no longer have the ability to educate those farmers or to control from your perspective what they can and cannot do under your laws of your society. The Brotherhood of Steel in this situation is a foreign entity that is trying to define for your citizens what they can and cannot do. But it goes the other way. The NCR believes that they should be able to control these boundaries, unify these people together for their own goals. And when those goals get in the way of the Brotherhood's goals, then you have issues as well. This idea that you can and cannot be in a specific area because this is our land now. Who defines who gets what land? Land claims are a major conflict across the globe still. This idea that we were there first, that that somehow justifies your ability to take a place and hold it for yourself because land is valuable. So inevitably, with a situation like this, where you have two groups who are trying to define for themselves what they think is the best path forward for society, and those ideologies overlap, and by defining what they think is right, it means that they have the right to tell other people what they can and cannot do, that breeds conflict. That is the foundation for the war between the NCR and the Brotherhood of Steel. And today we are going to get into the details, everything that we know about this war, what happened during it, what caused it. And then we're going to get a little bit into the location that the Brotherhood has had to retreat to and the nature of the Hidden Valley. So let's go back a few years. The time that we're in during the events of Fallout New Vegas, when you're playing the game, the actual year is 2281. But we have to go back a few decades to get to the origins of this conflict. And we don't have a precise date. 
we have a sense that up until about the 2240s, the Brotherhood of Steel was tolerated in NCR lands. Sometime in the late 2250s or early 2260s is when we have the origins of this military conflict that that skirmishes start to erupt between the two groups. The core of this conflict comes down to the ideologies, like I explained before. At this point in time, the New California government was expanding and they were not only expanding geographically, but they were expanding in their capabilities, in their abilities to govern themselves, in their abilities to train their own soldiers. NCR Rangers began playing a fundamental role in the security of those regions. And in those kinds of situations, you have to arm your, at least your military units, if not in some cases, your own citizens. The NCR was able to consolidate a lot of this power and bring together a lot of the information and technology that the people in these regions had. And as that stuff comes to the surface, as more awareness comes of this stash that this community had of ancient energy weapons and ancient, I mean, is is kind of a rough term here, but by this point in time, energy weapons that were designed and probably utilized over a century and a half ago, there's a lot of this coming to the surface of information. And in that time, the Brotherhood of Steel started to react and they began to seize in NCR technology, any technology that they believed especially energy weapons and power armor was beyond the scope of the citizens of the NCR and what they should be handling. Imagine the scenario. Imagine you are part of a small community. You're part of a village and your job in that village is to maintain the security of the people in that village. And someday while out, you know, scrounging in the wasteland, trying to find some other items and equipment, trying to, uncover things from the old world somebody from your village uncovers a crate of energy weapons brings them back and you are able to utilize those your techs are able with the help of the ncr to put them back together in working condition to fill up the energy cells of these energy weapons and now you and your village are that much stronger when it comes to protecting yourself against raiders. And one day, a group of the Brotherhood of Steel come knocking at your gates in power armor, and they say, hey, we heard about that conflict recently with the the raiders. Those are energy weapon burns on those bodies. Hand over your weapons. You can see how this escalates very quickly. Because for the village, you have a situation where the Brotherhood of Steel appears to be no different than raiders. They're marching to their gates, demanding that they give them something, almost like in tribute, like a group of raiders would. And so what's going to happen? Well, I'm sure in situations like that, information quickly got out to the larger governmental system of the NCR about this group of brotherhood who was going around and taking away 
things that they believed should remain in the hands of their citizens. Now, we're told that this conflict, the actual war itself, bubbles up from these small skirmishes, you could say, and that it takes place across the West. The part that we are familiar with the most are the events that happen in and around the New Vegas area in Nevada, because we don't have stories about, well, we have, we have hearsay about what was going on in, in locations beyond the boundaries of what we are able to play in Fallout New Vegas, but we don't actually have a game that's situated in those other locations during this time period. So we can only speculate that this has been something that's going on other places. And by the scale of the war, by the stories that are told of this, this conflict was actually very large. This took place in multiple locations over 20 years-ish. And during this long and bloody conflict, the Brotherhood of Steel kind of gets their butts handed to them. We're told that although they were better trained, they were better armed, that they were severely outnumbered and outmaneuvered. The NCR by this point had so many communities, such a high population of people under their banner that they were able to mobilize and respond to the Brotherhood threat in ways that the Brotherhood was not able to deal with. So, for example, in the situation that we discussed last week about Helios 1, right, there was an operation called Operation Sunburst. And this is when the NCR came to take the facility from the Brotherhood. In this operation, we're told that the Brotherhood's forces were outnumbered by a factor of between 15 and 20 to 1. So for every paladin, for every knight on the field in their power armor, with their power weapons, trained and ready for this conflict, there were 15 to 20 other soldiers in their face, hitting them from their sides, from their flanks, outmaneuvering them, able to chase them down. Each Brotherhood soldier would have needed to fend off 15 to 20 other soldiers. And that's the thing is that those numbers, even in power armor, can become overwhelming. And we're told in this conflict that it was that during this specific operation, the Brotherhood lost about 50 percent of their knights and paladins, some of their most experienced, most trained members. And this is huge. This is a very, very significant number. And you have to understand something about the nature of battles and warfare and these kinds of things. When, when in the history books we read that, say, this army was decimated by the enemy, and that sounds like a gigantic thing in our common language, we often use decimated to mean like completely destroyed. That's not actually what the word means. It has a foundation in Latin. Dessa is a tenth. It means 10. So if the Brotherhood group was decimated at this conflict, they would have lost one in 10 of their soldiers. They lost one in two of their soldiers, 50%. This is unprecedented. If a group of soldiers loses 10% of their unit, that is a significant morale hit. Imagine if every other soldier on that line didn't make it. 
Imagine if half of your friends, half of your comrades, half of your found family didn't make it through this conflict. That's the events of this one operation. And we're told that this is the kind of thing that echoed across the wasteland in every conflict that the Brotherhood was in. And the NCR didn't just defend their land. It wasn't about making sure that the Brotherhood who was coming to take their stuff knew that they were going to stand up against them and good, get rid of you, go away. They mounted assaults against the Brotherhood. They wanted to rid the wasteland of what they considered to be a significant threat to their own viability and safety. We're told that at least six chapters of the Brotherhood, their bunkers, their main bases, were wiped out. And four of those were done so in a last-ditch attempt by the Brotherhood to deny the bunkers and the technology from the hands of the NCR. Four of them. This is like scorched earth warfare here. When your enemy is making inroots so quickly that you need to burn your own crops, destroy your own things, basically, so that they, when they take that land, can't benefit from it. This is a last ditch kind of thing to do. This is the kind of thing that you only do when you know that you are not going to be able to come back and take advantage of those items, that equipment, that location again in the future. So after two plus decades of war between the Brotherhood and the NCR, the Brotherhood were reduced to a shell of what they were before. And what we learn most about is the chapter at Hidden Valley and who they are and what Hidden Valley was like, because it's an interesting location. And there seems to be a reason why this location was able to hold out against the NCR and the Brotherhood weren't completely wiped out. I am so excited about our sponsor this week, Marvel Strike Force. I freaking love Marvel Comics. Growing up, I collected comics and the trading cards, and I've seen pretty much every Marvel movie they've made so far. So if you're into Marvel like I am, go check out Marvel Strike Force. This is a mobile squad RPG. You can collect and unlock all the different heroes. You fight against supervillains. There's a campaign. There's a blitz mode. There's an arena. There's a constantly evolving meta. And right now, they're celebrating the Deadpool anniversary event. This is a mission from Strike, where you log in the first time and you unlock this generous gift containing character shards, an anniversary diamond orb, gear, a bunch of other items. It is absolutely the right time to jump in and try this game out. Click the link in the show notes to download it now and then use the promo code MAXPOOL, M-A-X-P-O-O-L, MAXPOOL. Don't miss out on all the free stuff and thanks again to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Hello there, old chap. 
Good to see another of General Atomic's finest still eager to serve. All right, here we are in the middle of the show. Thank you so much to all of our patrons for all of your support. I couldn't do this without you guys. And you know this. I talk about you guys all the time. Uh, A big shout out to our newest patrons, King Rock and Mikey T. And also to Scarecrow, who upgraded to a tier four patron. Welcome. Uh, Those of you who are tier four patrons will be able to join us next week, next Tuesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific for our patron chat. Let me know what you guys would like to discuss. We're going to figure that out very soon, but you still have time after listening to this before Tuesday to sign up if you'd like to do that. Also, we're hitting very close to the end of the month, which means that you're running out of time to get into tier three for the first year stickers or tier four plus for the first year t-shirts. So four t-shirts are going to be available only for like the next two weeks. And all you have to do is sign up at a tier three or tier four or higher, and then you can start getting t-shirts every three months. But then we're going to have the year two t-shirts rolling out in like a week, like the beginning of September, which if you're in starting in the beginning of September, then three months later, you're going to get your first tier two shirt and then three more months, the second tier two shirt and so on and so forth. So go get that stuff. If you're interested in it, I love the designs. I think they're awesome. The community has been super, super awesome and into them too. So go check that stuff out. It will be up on the Patreon, patreon.com slash fallout lorecast for more info about that. Also, we've got to shout out our sentry bots. I'm the creeper and germinator. Thank you so much for your support. Both of you, you guys are amazing. And just we're, we're up to 60 now, all 60 patrons. Thank you for your support. We also have two new uh, reviews, two new reviews on Apple podcasts to read out. And if you'd like to help me out, leave a rating and review on Apple podcasts or a rating on Spotify. And if you leave some words in the future on a five-star review, then I'm going to read it out. So check this out. We've got one from Monking J. I think I pronounced that correctly in the U S who writes, wow. Hey, Tom or robots with zeros. Thank you for bringing this podcast to life. I discovered this podcast in the very beginning when you were just starting out, but I got busy with college. I forgot all about it until now. Yeah, totally get it, dude. College, college is a crazy time. This podcast keeps me focused and energized as I walk or drive to deliver mail and packages to keep me wanting more and more. For someone that has played Fallout 3 and above, this is a great podcast to learn more about the interesting world that Fallout is. Keep up the great work. Um, Also, if you've played Fallout 1 and 2, probably good for you as well. So (laughs) thank you so much, Monkey J. I appreciate it. Then we have X Wallman from the United States who wrote, Tom is a legend. Legend. I'm the legendary version of Tom. Uh, five stars. Great podcast. I listen on Spotify, but I wanted to write a review here. I only bought Fallout 4 a month ago. Brand new Fallout 4 player. But I've been following the lore and stories of Fallout of the Fallout world with YouTube channels like Oxhorn and podcasts like this. Yeah, Oxhorn, great stuff. Go check out his YouTube stuff. It's awesome. I love how Robots Radio presents a wide variety of lore topics, and I especially like the patron sponsored discussions. Keep it up. Well, thanks so much, Wallman. Yeah, we've got all sorts of shows about all sorts of things and not just mine. So if you are into video games, especially role playing games with stories and big worlds and lore, a lot of that stuff, go to robotsradio.net. Check out all the different shows, Um, mine included, but there's some other ones and they're doing awesome. So go check that stuff out. Thank you again to all of you for your support. I genuinely appreciate it. And just want to just want to mention it. 
Come hang out with me. I'm on twitch.tv slash robots radio. I've been streaming almost every day. I try to stream at some point during the day, usually in the afternoon. And then in the evenings, either I'm doing a podcast or oftentimes after about 9 p.m. Eastern, 9.30 ish, I'll stream again and I'll hang out and chat with you guys and play some games. It's been a blast having you guys show up. Thank you so much for being there. Every time I stream, somebody pops in and is like, hey, I found you from the show and we get to hang out and I get to know you guys better. So come join me. I love chatting with you. All right. Let's get back to the rest of the story. If you have any questions about Nuka World, I'd be delighted to answer them. So I mentioned this last week in the case of the events in and around New Vegas. Elder Elijah was the leader of the Brotherhood of Steel and during the events of um, the Operation Sunburst, which was the Helios One incident, they retreated to a place called Hidden Valley. And Hidden Valley is a really cool location. This is a place that was able to be maintained and kept functional for very specific reasons. You see, this is a valley within a, a specific range of mountains in the uh, Mikalo Range that actually exists there's a there's a kind of a location out there in the range and according to the lore of the the game world during the sino-american war the government basically declared that this was a government site and they roped it off or fenced it off actually and basically said okay this is our land we're going to use it for something and then they never really did they kind of sat on it for a while so you end up with uh, a lot of graffiti and stuff at the site. You, you notice when you play through it, not only are there the bark scorpions, but there are these like bunkers with graffiti and they decide the government decides to start building these underground bunkers for future use in the war and kind of doesn't finish it off right away. And so during the war, you have protesters going to sites like this. And this one in particular was abandoned for a while leaving graffiti on things. That's where all of that graffiti comes from. This is one of those things I was a little bit confused by when I first came across it in the game because I was like, okay, is this modern day, like current day graffiti? Are people upset with the people they think live here, the Brotherhood, because they end up live, being the ones that live there? It, it comes from the events two centuries before, which I guess means that that paint is really good at staying on things. Um, <laughs> you can imagine that it would be weathered and, and removed by then. This location, though, eventually was filled out by the government with equipment, specifically the U.S. Air Force um, in the days before the, the Great War. So between the Sino-American War and the Great War, this became a very functional location. It was intended for high-ranking personnel and VIPs as a shelter and a command center during crisis situations. So... The bunker was built very, very far underground, over 100 meters. This is like several hundred feet under the ground through multiple layers of reinforced materials, we're told, in order to protect anybody in the bunker from anything other than a like bunker busting megaton nuclear weapon. So this site would have had to been hit directly. But there's a reason why the site would have been difficult to hit, and it has to do with a technology called the Dervish Camouflage System. And I think that's word, the word Dervish is probably there because of the concept of a whirling Dervish. The idea here is that there is so much dirt and loose materials on the surface in this valley that through a series of vents and fans, 
this location was able to keep that dust in the air in order to obscure vision of the area from satellites and from overhead. So it would have been very difficult to specifically target the bunkers in this area because the area would have been occluded by this whirling dust. And in the current day situation, the Brotherhood is making constant use of this in order to protect themselves as well. Because anybody who walks into the site from the ground would have difficulty working their way through this this fog of dust and kind of this whirling air. That's why the zone feels so weird when you walk through it. Now, due to the use of this and the extensive use of this technology, which was never designed to be constantly in use, it was supposed to only be in use during like very specific times of conflict. It It's wearing out. The bunker is falling apart. And so this is one of the quest lines that you go on in the situation where you're trying to basically fix what's going on with the technology for the Brotherhood if you decide to do so. The other thing that is of note here, the other technology that's worth discussing is something called the Candle Fusion Power System. It's one of the reasons why this location has been able to be online for two centuries and, in fact, could run for another five to six centuries. The Candle Fusion Power System doesn't put out a ton of power, but what it was designed to do was to last a very long time and be very, very consistent. And we even have a number of years that the system is supposed to be able to function, which is a very specific number, 752 years. So assuming that they can fix the dervish camouflage system and reduce some of the wear and tear to the other systems in the bunker, the candle fusion power system would keep anybody at this location. The Brotherhood is probably who wants to stay at this location safe for another 500 and almost 50 years. And this is the location where we come across the Brotherhood in New Vegas. And we get to know the individuals, the side quests, all of that stuff. Um, I'm not going to go into a lot of that detail on this episode. We might come back to that stuff later. In fact, I've tried to stay away from some of the quest lines and finishing off what happens on them, because I think there are still a lot of people. In fact, I know, according to the stats, that there are a lot of people who have played Fallout 4, who have not gone back and played New Vegas. And fingers crossed, I'm still hoping that Bethesda reworks Fallout 3 and New Vegas and re-releases them, because that would be amazing. So not going not gonna to cover that stuff. But we do learn that there are definitely situations going on in the bunker and conflicts between where they think the Brotherhood should be going in the future and what's actually happening. So... Like all good situations in Fallout, things are not harmonious, especially when you get there. And you get to decide how much you're going to help them or not. Now, the last thing I wanted to note here is that the uh, the Dervish system didn't actually keep this location safe during the Great War. I wanted to remind you guys that all of the New Vegas area itself is relatively safe from nuclear attack because of the events and, and, and the work of Mr. House. House's influence on this area and this being so close to the Strip is the reason why it did not come under attack during the Great War. Now, had that not been the case, it may have been one of those locations that was targeted, but 
in that situation, it would have been difficult to take out because of the dervish system, but that never ended up being tested. So we don't actually know how successful that would have been, specifically the dervish system in protecting the bunkers. Now inside the bunkers, and there's a few of them, there are living quarters, there are bunk rooms, individual chambers, there's a clinic. Uh, in fact, the clinic is so established with uh, medical technology and things that they can actually do procedures like surgeries and fairly complex things in order to keep the population healthy. There's storehouses, shooting ranges, workshops, research labs, virtual reality training systems. And this is one of the most important things for the Brotherhood in this specific time because they don't go out much from here. At this point in the story, they are maintaining their secrecy. And that's when you discover them. In fact, there's only a few knights that are able to get out of these bunkers, and that's for very local patrols at night in order to maintain the safety of the location. The knights in general and the Brotherhood in general has decided to bunker down, to hunker down in the bunker. It's the only time you ever use the word hunker. Have you ever noticed that is when you need to like hide in a situation like, oh, the hurricane's coming, hunker down. Otherwise, you don't use the word hunker anyway. Um, but th they've basically been hiding out here and people are not allowed to leave, which becomes a point of contention. The bunkers have everything they need except for the parts to fix the systems that have been worn down due to constant use in the most recent years. And that's the situation that you kind of come across. I do think it's really cool that they have a virtual reality simulation system, but that's the only system that they've been able to use to train their soldiers. So even the modern current day knights and, and paladins are not the same type of uh, prepared and and level of experience that they were even a few decades before. Because fighting in a VR system is not the same as actual conflict out there in the wastes. So that's the situation. That's where the Brotherhood is at at this specific time in New Vegas's lifespan. And I've talked about this before on the show. I, I wouldn't be surprised if we don't get the Fallout TV show set in a time before New Vegas, maybe during the conflict between the NCR and the Brotherhood. I think that would be a really cool setting sometime in like the 2050s, 2060s or 2250s, 2260s. Um, so let me know what you think about that. I actually talked about it on a uh, one of the live streams last week where we hung out and watched a video about the TV show and speculated together. And, and I shared some of my thoughts on that. So come hang out with me. Twitch.tv slash robots radio. I will see you guys next week. Stay safe out there. And remember the patron chats coming up. So come join me. Let's hang out Tuesday night, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. Until then, stay safe, everybody. I'll see you later. plug into everything else we're doing check out robotsradio.net reach out to me on twitter at robots underscore radio check out the robots radio rocket club where you can join me and a bunch of our other creators creating your podcast starting a new podcast or helping your current podcast grow there's more information about that on robotsradio.net as well and you can always talk with us and the entire community over 2,000 people on the robots radio discord Come join us. We'd love to chat with you. See you guys next time.
What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.